0: have uh, put together we've gotten these really wonderfully illustrated I don't know if you've seen them the Thomas Kincaid uh, uh, illustrated Bibles they're gorgeous and we had them personalized but uh, all of them said they didn't want to come up here and uh, be in center stage so I'm not going to do that but uh, I I, and then we had a little bit of a snafu it's my fault we had these personalized and Sandy we, we didn't put your name right it's S-A-N-D-E-E, and Melanie Estes caught that. And by the way, Melanie personalized. Thank you, Melanie. She's got beautiful, beautiful, beautiful handwriting, like really beautiful handwriting. So we're going to take care of that this week. So, But I am going to give you these, and uh, Morgan, we got your name right. Frank and Carmen, we got your name right. So, Frank and Carmen Janus. beautiful and the you should melanie does a fabulous job morgan we got your name right sandy might as well keep it (laughs) (laughs) yeah you could always But you'll end up with two that'll be good so thank you melanie too so uh it is good to be here this morning let me get up here i know some of you uh knew eileen carson she worked our nursery uh, years ago, and we had her funeral about a year and a half ago, and her husband, Danny, passed away this past week. We had a service here yesterday. It was a great opportunity uh, to honor God and minister to the family. And if, you know, Debbie Daniels comes uh, with her granddaughter, and uh, just remember the Carson family uh, in your prayers, and a lot of love in that family, a very close-knit family. And so, Obviously, keep them in your prayers. It is good to be here this morning. Uh, Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, and I appreciate it if you get your handout uh, that comes in the bulletin for our outline and reference points for this morning's sermons. Uh, I want to read a passage out of Hebrews chapter 4 that really will illustrate um, the the lesson this morning or will uh, provide a connecting point. Uh, For this morning's message. So, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the writer of Hebrews writes For we do not have a high priest, we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. And so, let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in time of need. Let us therefore draw near. We have a high priest. This is in reference to Jesus. Um, He he accomplished many things. and One of the things uh, that his life and his death on the cross, his sacrifice, one of the things that was accomplished uh, was the role not just of a sacrificial lamb, but actually the, the role of a high priest. And so we have one, and he can sympathize with us. He understands our weaknesses. And so, but I especially like this statement, let us therefore draw near, draw near to God with confidence, to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in our time in time of need. Now my message this morning is going to be from the 22nd Psalm and I really appreciated uh, Mark. Not only did I get to enjoy the service but I've gone back on our Facebook and re-watched the service a couple of times because it was such a meaningful um, time of worship in the message. I especially appreciated uh, the work that you put in it, the thoughtfulness, the spirituality of it because uh, one of the things that he conveyed as he was conveying how God had drawn him and taught him to Christ, that backdrop being John chapter 6, verse 43 through 45, was that he did it through music. He did it through men, individual circumstances, and his word, which is that's just in perfect harmony with God's word. And then to be able to illustrate that, see that, worship in that, and that it was just perfect. Um, The contribution that I wanted to make as part of that was a moment on the cross with Jesus when he cries out, uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I don't know if you've ever read that verse. I referenced it on the little little insert, uh, the two places in the gospels in Matthew 27 and Mark 15 uh, of the account, their account of Jesus on the cross where he makes that statement. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? About the ninth hour, just before he would die, and he says he cried out with a loud voice. The Greek literally means he sang out with a loud voice. I remember being young in my Christian walk in faith, reading the Gospels, and it was, I think it may have been one of the first places in my journey that caused me some confusion. I I really remember thinking, why would he say that? I mean, did God really forsake him on the cross? I mean, he's the son of God. I I don't know if that was a sentiment that you've had or a place that you've been in your study of Scripture, but I know some 30 plus years ago when I first encountered those verses, that's what I thought. I thought, well, that's I don't understand that. It, wasn't, um, it was probably, I think, the first time that I encountered that when I was able to study through that. Uh, I was in the College of Biblical Studies, and I had some outstanding uh, professors, and we specifically studied this, well, the statements that Jesus made on the cross. And so uh, I want us to go to the 22nd Psalm this morning, Um if you go to this handout, you'll also see that I included in John 12, Jesus, this great statement that he makes. Um, He says he says, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Uh, He was saying this to indicate the kind of death which he was to die. I hope you read the whole passage. Uh, But this connects to that statement that he had made earlier in the Gospel of John, that um, no one can come to to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And it's the same word. Nobody, if you're a Christian, according to Jesus, the Lord, you can't come to him unless God draws you. Later on, using the same word in the 12th chapter of the Gospel of John, he said, and when I'm lifted up, I will draw all men to me. So, high priest, no one can come to the Father, unless, or to Jesus, unless the Father draws him. Jesus says, if I'm, when I'm lifted up, all men will be drawn to me. 22nd Psalm, 22nd Psalm, let's begin reading. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. O oh my God, I cry by day, but thou dost not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. If you were alive 2000 years ago, and if you knew the, the music the hymns, the psalms of the Jewish people for a 1,000 years before that. And I I never believe in coincidence, just with Matt's teaching this morning, those psalms that had to do with the Passover. Um, But if you had been alive 2,000 years ago, and you were Jewish, and you were in Jerusalem, and you were celebrating the Passover, and you were aware that uh, a man was being crucified, a man by the name of Jesus and you were aware of all the things that were happening around that, if you were Jewish, um, and if you had the knowledge of the Psalms, if you were the kind of practicing Jew that went to synagogue and observed the national festivals, this Psalm, this 22nd Psalm, uh, scholars will tell you that if you talk to any, especially even rabbinic uh, priests today, in their history, this psalm was likened in many ways to our amazing grace. Uh, if you're a Christian today, and if you've been a Christian for any period of time, you're probably very familiar with the song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound has saved a wretch like me. It resonates. Um, this psalm has been likened to that. And Jesus did, in fact. The word says he sang out with a loud voice. So what was happening on the cross, Jesus is dying and he's singing a song. And he's singing the psalm in a loud voice as he's dying. That God's people then and God's people for a thousand years before knew very well the meaning of, in the ramification of this song. They knew it. They sang it. It had been sung in their villages. It had been sung in their synagogues. It had been sung um, in their homes. It would have been sung at all of their national festivals. It, it, It was that common. So I know me reading it years ago, I thought, what's going on here? Doing the research, I said, okay, but I still had a problem. Okay, why that song? Why that one? That's where it got really good, and it did. It got good for me as a student, um, as a minister, because this wonderful, really it's a beautiful light went on uh, as you began to understand what was taking place on the cross between God, His Son, and His people, past, present, and even future for you and I today. And and there's basically four things happening here. And they all have to do with uh, the Messiah, Messiah, Savior, the Savior of God's people, the Savior of all people. And so it's called a Messianic Psalm. It has to do with the Messiah. But interestingly enough, uh, it, that has an association with it too. If, if you were really going to have a Messiah, if you really needed a Messiah, if you were going to depend upon a Messiah, if you were going to love a Messiah, you would want to know everything about, you would want to know the important things. What the theologians would say, you'd want to know his theology and his doctrine. You'd want to know his mind, heart, and spirit about the things of God, theology, doctrine, the things that you could count on because they were true, because they're from God. And so this 22nd Psalm, it is a messianic Psalm. Jesus singing it out on the cross with a loud voice as he's dying. But the doctrine, what made it so important was a whole lot like the amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. There's, that's doctrine. I was once lost, but now I'm found. That's doctrine. There's theology. Okay? That's what this is. So it was a learning. The rest of that John chapter six verse is that, uh, and they shall all be taught of God. So it was a psalm that was messianic that taught us about the real, real heart, mind, spirit of who the Messiah was. These were the most important things that you could know about the Messiah. The most important things that have to do with you and I. And the the reason they're the most important things is because they're, they're going to be the most important things in our life. And that's where it started. Now, I don't know. And by the way, parents, I got to tell you, you do doing a great job. You are doing a great job. You are doing a great job. Because the teenagers this morning, I asked them, has there ever been a point in your life, and I know you're young, where you would think God has just left you? that he's, you've the word here is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But I asked him, have you ever been in a point where you felt like life was so, you were in such a difficult point in your life that you could say, God, where are you? And they couldn't. Parents are doing a good job. If I were to ask a bunch of kids down in a juvenile detention center, I'd get a little different answer. And then I asked them to give me scenarios where maybe somebody could come up with that, you know where somebody could be in that place, and and a little bit more conversation from them. But it shows me that you, as parents, are nurturing your kids, and you're, uh, man, you're protecting your kids, and and they. I hope they realize it. I hope they wake up one day and say, "Man, I had it pretty good <laughs> growing up." But I said to them, "There will be a time in your life." There will be a time in your life when you say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but thou dost not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. I don't know if you have been there. I do believe that if you've been a Christian for any length of time, any period of time, you've been there. I was told in ministry, if you could do anything else in life, do it. Literally, do it. And it was in relationship to this verse. A fine old gentleman um, said, if you can do anything else, he'd been a preacher for 50 years, do it. Please do it. In fact, that was, was in reference to this. He said, because if you don't know it, you will know it. I don't think you have to be a minister to know that. But I do believe it 's true, and uh, so I want you to reflect just briefly this morning of a time when you were there. they 're not pleasant times, maybe you 've had many of them. But now, here is the theology, the doctrine of the Messiah it he's he 's stating. The writer states David wrote it. By the way, uh, many believe that this was after he wrote it after Absalom, his, his son, had revolted and 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 was killed. Could have been many times in his life, though. But the psalmist wrote it, and then inspired by the Holy Spirit, here's the answer. Here's the answer, and it has to do with the Messiah, and it has to do with you, and it has to do with me. Um, teenage suicide is at an all-time high in this nation. I went ahead and checked that, I mean that, so you got, you got teenagers in this country who have decided um, that life isn't worth living. That's a pretty, depressed place wouldn't it that would be very depressed and so but what about just you and me what about anybody is at a point because I cannot think of a more hopeless place to be especially if you're a person of faith where you would just say God where are you but it's not just God where are you it's God why have you forsaken me do you know what that means to be forsaken, that means you've turned your back on me. You've left me. I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know how many times you've been there. But the writer had been there. And here is the only answer to that statement and that question. Here's the only surviving answer. Here's the only messianic answer. I asked the kids, if you were ever at a point like that, what would you you say to somebody? They didn't know. I asked them, I said, should I know? And they said, yes, you're a preacher. I should answer that. I said, you're right. Well, what would you say? Well, here's what David wrote, and this is what the Holy Spirit inspired, and this is what the Messiah says. Yet, thou art holy. O thou who art enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In thee our fathers trusted. They trusted and thou didst deliver them. To thee they cried out and were delivered. To thee they trusted and were not disappointed. You know, I don't know. And I think it's a shame. Probably a poll has been done. Maybe it should be done. But it should be done individually. An individual poll in your heart, in your spirit. Uh, Because the correct answer, the correct messianic answer, the the correct salvation to that question, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me, is the, the doctrine of the Messiah is based upon the holiness of God. The holiness of God. The first thing he said in that dilemma is, yet, in spite of what I'm feeling in spite of where I'm at, in spite of the darkness, the loneliness, the separation, here's something I know. God, you're holy. You're holy. We think about Jesus a lot of ways in this whole world. The very first and foremost thing, the very absolute foundational root-bearing thing that we should know about God is his holiness. I think the church is lacking in that. I really do. I think we have minimalized Jesus to a friend. He's a friend, but he's a high level friend. Certainly there's some capacity and capabilities there, but I'm talking about holy. Have you really just tried to understand your relationship with God based upon the holiness of God? The absolute and true holiness of God. Because the only way that I'll ever be able to deal with, the only way with what is going on here, why is this happening? This does not make sense to me. There's things that I cannot figure out here. My heart is broken, my spirit is breaking, my mind is confused. You're holy. Why would Job, in the midst of his trial, say his wife and his best friends were telling him, you know what, Job, really, here's the bottom line. And this is what they basically told him. I'm going to give you the, (laughs) the, the common Hebrew. Job, you appear to be one way, but really you're pretty sorry. And if you just give it up and curse God, We'll all, you'll, you'll die, and we'll all be better off. That's it. Now, I can give you real Hebrew words that really, they were starting are pointing out all of his flaws. <laughs> yeah. And he defended himself. But the thing that really culminated was he made this statement. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. I know that he lives, and I'll see him one day because of his holiness. I can live with the holiness of God from the need of a Messiah. I can't live with the holiness of God in my unholiness. I'm just guilty and I'm always gonna be guilty and there'll never be anything but guilt. Romans 3 and 27, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You probably haven't as much as I have but we have all. I didn't mean that. I mean, it's, we, we do that, don't we? We rate that. I've sinned, but not as much as you. We just do it. But the scripture says, well, all of us have. And we've all fallen short of the glory. That glory has to do with the holiness of God. We all fall short of the glory of God. And so the Messiah that I need is what? Someone that becomes the living manifestation of that holiness on my behalf. Because Job would say in chapter 9, he said, I'm just a man. I can't take God to court. I need someone between God and I, someone that could touch God and touch me. Then I would not be afraid in my bones. That's the holiness of God. Yet thou art enthroned upon the praises of Israel. In thee are our fathers trusted They trusted and thou didst deliver them. And they cried out and were delivered. To thee they were trusted and were not disappointed. When you and I begin to understand the answer to the question of our (laughs) deep place of fear and brokenness is the holiness of God that we can trust in. The holiness of God that will deliver us. The holiness of God that will not be disappointed in. There's, you've never met anybody in your life. You've not, you don't know a living soul. If you say you do, God bless you, just not. I don't know, maybe we have just deceive ourselves this way sometimes. You've never met anybody holy enough in your life that at some point uh, wouldn't disappoint you. We're, in even with best, our best intentions will, but the holiness of God can be trusted to deliver us. And we don't have to be disappointed. So when Jesus is on the cross and he makes that, everybody there knew the next stanza or the rest of that stanza. That was one. That's all included in the same. Every, I'm not a music guy, but I know that I think there's four stanzas here. So, everybody knew that when he said that, oh, this is what a Messiah, this is a Messiah moment. When we sing the song in desperation, we know, oh man, our God is holy. He's enthroned. He, he can be trusted. He delivers us and he does not disappoint us. And I have to tell you, you want to you stop. Stop the moment of suicide. You want to stop the moment of depression. You want to stop the destruction of brokenness and division and emptiness. You build your heart, your mind, your spirit on the foundation of a holy God who can be trusted and delivers and will not disappoint it. But then the second one so that was the burden and dilemma. But then the second one, that was the question and dilemma. The second part of this psalm is a burden. You might have a question, but boy, you talk about a burden. Woo! You talk about a burden. Listen to the burden of this this psalm. Verse 6. But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. Boy, that was happening on that cross 2,000 years in Golgotha. People were, he was like a, he wasn't a man. He was like a worm. They despised him. They sneered at him. They separate with the the lip. They wagged the head and saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver you. Remember, they said that. He said he could save others. Well, he needs to save himself. And these were God's people. Have you ever been a victim of that? Have you ever been a a, a Christian in a difficult point in your life doing the very best that you can and the people that are supposed to be the most healing and helpful and giving and loving and forgiving they sneer at you. They wag their head. They question your own Christianity. Well, yeah, boy who's real big on that old salvation stuff. You ever had that happen to you as a Christian? By Christians. These are God's people that are doing this. And so the burden is, wow, I'm a worm. I'm not a man. A reproach of men, despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip. They they wag the head saying, commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver you. Let him rescue you because he delights in you. Here's the answer. I don't know if you've been there. I don't know if you've ever been there. Maybe you have. Here's the answer. Yet. Now thou art he who didst bring me forth from the womb. Thou didst make me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon thee I was cast from birth. Thou hast been my God from my mother's womb. If I believe that I have been forsaken by God, I can trust in the God. I can trust in Him because of His holiness. If I'm depressed to the point, if I have such a burden that I, I look at myself and there's nothing good in me. There's nothing good to see in me. There's nothing. It's like Paul in Romans 7. Oh, wretched man that I am who will free me from this body of death. It's, a, it's at a point in a person's life where they look at themselves and they say, everything you've done, you've just felt you're worthless. Even God's people think you're worthless. And the answer, the messianic doctrinal answer to that is, you need to stop. You need to stop. Why? On the basis of what? I'm, I don't get political up in the pulpit. I don't do that. I, I, on social media, I do. Mostly it's just satire. And I, you know, I think we have the God given right to vote. In this country, we do. And I think we ought to exercise it. I think it's a shame that we don't. But I'll get political. But I, I, I want to just say something to you because, and especially for these young people, the Bible very clearly, Paul says there's going to be a time, and we're living in those times, where we call evil good and good evil. We're living. Lawlessness will increase. Children will be disobedient to their parents. People will become lovers of money. I believe this with all my heart. I don't say it lightly. I say it with deep conviction. The Bible very clearly talks about what's going to happen. And the thing that God is going to do. There's going to be a harvest. And he's going to separate the wheat from the tares. And I believe that's happening. I could preach for a month of Sundays to just verify that scripturally. He who has eyes to see, let him see. And who has ears to hear, let him hear the time of casual Christianity is over, the time of approaching Scripture platonically, and i that's an interesting, I mean, I use that word, um, or not using it, or avoiding it, or choosing not to deal with it, or deciding, you know, I don't really understand that. That doesn't apply to me. We, we live in a very difficult time. I, there have been other difficult times. I have no idea what it must have been like to live in this country during the civil war. I, I don't know. I don't know what it would have been like to be alive during the 14th century in a global plague. Where I think a third of the world population passed away. I don't know. But I will tell you, we live in a time, and, and I'm just going to say it. Everything that we do here should have one goal in mind, and that's to honor God. And we are God's people. We've been left here for a purpose, to be salt, light, sweet aroma. sweet aroma. Where we choose to worship has nothing to do with the way it makes us feel. It should only be based upon one thing. My heart desires to go to the place a place where I can worship God in spirit and truth. He does not ask much for us. He does ask that one thing. There's not really not much he asks for us. And so here we are, this people, light, sweet aroma, salt. We've been put here for a purpose. And now here we are as Americans and we live here as Christians and we have great, massive, you know, there's churches everywhere. I don't know if you totaled all the construction for all the church facilities right here in Bryan College Station. I would imagine it'd be in the tens of millions of dollars. Parking lots and buildings. You know, you go on and on and on. It's not the church. I'm just going to say it. The psalmist talks about an individual who says he's a worm, not a man. He's the reproach of men. Despised by the people. Sneered at. Heads wagging at him. Mocking him. Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver you. Let him rescue you because he delights in you. You're a Christian. You're a super Christian. And his answer had to do with what? Thou art he who didst bring me forth from the womb. Now I put in this handout... Out of the 139th Psalm. Verse 13 through 16. For thou didst form my inner parts, inward parts. Thou didst weave me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are thy works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from thee when I was made in secret. You were made in secret. If you're, you're here today, you were made in secret. You were formed, your inward parts. You were woven together in your mother's womb. This is something to give praise for. You were made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Thine eyes have seen my unformed substance, and, and in thy book, in his book, they were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Do you believe that? The Messiah believes it. A song was written in to honor him about all the things that a man might go through in his life that are just terrible. And his answer had to do with the work that God did, forming you and I in our mother's womb in a secret place. And every one of the days of your life is ordained. You and I will not live one second longer than God determines. Not going to happen. But we were born. I don't get political, but I, this is not political. This is biblical. I don't care if you vote Republican or Democrat. I really don't. But you're a Christian. I had this conversation recently. Several times recently with several different people. I, you know, I like the fact that we have Second Amendment rights, that the Constitution says that I can own a gun to defend myself, Prime, not to hunt, but to defend myself against a, an oppressive government. The Constitution says I do. I like smaller government. I like lower taxes. I probably, if you went down the checklist, almost everything that I would agree with is Republican. That's not why I vote Republican, I do. There's only one reason. And I'm not saying you should. Yes, I am. I'm going to challenge you out of the word of God. And if I'm wrong, come talk, please. There's one reason that I'll vote for a candidate and only one. I may have some likes. I may have some preferences. But it's on one issue and only one issue and it's abortion. That's it. If you go back to the fourth century and the the disease that men endured because of the plague. If you total up all the men that have been killed in all the wars and since the beginning of time, it would be less than half of all the unformed inward parts They're fearfully and wonderfully made. Something that your soul knows very well. It was done in secret and skillfully. And why preachers are not preaching about it, I hope God forgives them. I do. These children need to hear it. You and I need to hear it. The scripture speaks of it. And I'm not ashamed to talk about it here. If you're a Christian, how could you vote for anybody that endorses abortion? I had somebody talk to me about homosexuality and same-sex marriage. I know what the scripture says about that. I do. You know what? I'm just going to tell you that. Well, the, my understanding is they're adults. And the scripture says, what do I have to do with the sins outside of the church? You just, God's going to judge them. God will judge them. It's none of my business. But they're adults. They're consenting adults. I wouldn't vote for that. The scripture is very clear about that, just as the scripture is very clear about gossip and envy and pride and arrogance. But that soul, that soul, woven together in a mother's womb in a secret place, skillfully wrought, fearfully and wonderfully made. And I'm not ashamed to say it because, because the, the doctrine of the Messiah says this, that if you're ever in a place in your life in your Christian walk with God, where you feel like a worm and not a man and need to reproach and despised, sneered at, you need to remember one thing. Hmm. Thou art he who did spring me forth from the womb. Thou didst make me trust when upon my mother's breast. Upon thee I was cast from birth. Thou hast been my God from my mother's womb. Do you believe that? And if you don't, don't tell me why, tell God why. You don't have to explain it to me. I'm going to stop. We've got two more parts to this. I'm going to do that next week. We're going to be talking about the mighty hand of God. These are serious times. These are difficult times. Spiritual warfare is abundant. Satan is in his death throes. He is. And he's going to take whoever he can with him. And you and I should be the most prepared to not only answer these questions, not just answer them, but to believe them, live according to them. So this morning, I hope that uh, you'll spend some time reading this psalm this week, Think of Christ, singing the first part of this song loudly from the cross. We have much to be thankful for. We can trust him. Even though we don't think he's near. Because he's holy. And no matter what's happened to us in our lives. The God of all creation said that you and I were worth making. The God of all creation said that you and I were worth making, forming, weaving, that's something to live for. And our Christ knew it. And he sang it loudly from the cross. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I just, uh, my heart uh, this morning is, uh, I just would speak to you because there's always need in our lives. We always have need. And, um, And so, Father, I cry out to you in the depths, in the midst of our needs, the things that we need. Um, I know that we can trust you, and I know that you deliver us. And I'm so thankful that you have given us life. And so, Father, we praise you and we give you honor, because just as you've given us life, I know one thing, too, Father, that I can trust you in my death. I can trust you when this body decays because of your son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. As we prepare for communion.